to the MM Search Rules of Leadership podcast. Each week, we'll be bringing you an inspiring guest who are all leaders in their own right. They'll talk about their career and journey to date, their inspirations and motivations, and most importantly, the secrets to their success. Okay, um, well, I am delighted to launch our new Future Leaders Forum with David Soul OBE. Um, it's very timely, as you can appreciate. This is uh, just about to come up to the Scotland v England Calcutta Cup match. Uh, hopefully, David will indulge me a little bit at the end about rugby because I'm a huge mad fan enthusiast. But um, it's, it's particularly special because of the timing to have David to actually be um, the first person to actually launch this with us, of which will be many going forward. We're, we're tapping into the world of not just business, but sports, entertainment, media, not-for-profit charity, and of course the commercial side as well. And, and what we were trying, well, what we are trying to do, is we wanted to create a forum where people could register through our new website, um, either who are existing or new to MM Search or just the business community, to look at um, basically from their point of view an insight and maybe hopefully motivational and potential advice to try and fulfill their ambitions to actually speak to someone who has clearly, well, without being, you know, blowing too much, has been there, seen it, done it, and still going kind of thing. And, and it is perfect timing, obviously, because it is the weekend before. Um, and if rugby enthusiastic or not, uh, there's going to be a big stir at Murrayfield uh, come quarter to five, let's say, in Saturday. So we're all looking forward to that. So, David, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For those who don't know David, if, if I can just indulge here, um, David, and, and the vast majority will, but for those who don't, David Solbier is a former Scotland international and rugby player and also a father, husband, entrepreneur, business leader, um, to name but a few. Um, David was educated at Glen Almond College in Perthshire, and he went on to Exeter University, uh, where he played for the rugby side as well. He also played for Bath between 83 and 87, uh, and then went on to play for Edinburgh Academicals. He also played for Scottish Exiles and Scottish Inter-District Championship as well. Um, while at Exeter University, he was capped for Scotland B and received five B caps in total. However, he made his full senior Scotland debut in 1986 against France and went on to win 44 caps at prop between 86 and 92 with a record 25 as captain. He was also, and I think you'll be particularly proud of this, first choice loosehead prop with the victorious British Lions in Australia in 1989, captained by obviously the also great man uh, Finlay Calder. However, in 1990, uh, David Sewell was captain uh, of our Grand Slam decider at Murrayfield against hot favourite England, a game that I can still, it still breaks heckles up in the back of my neck when I think about it, a, a fantastic day. He also went on to captain a World 15 to victory against the All Blacks in 1982, and he made his final appearance for Scotland in 1992 against Australia. David also, um, very proud of the fact of uh, a very talented family, married to Jane, um, three, I'm looking at this here as well, David, amazing here, three of David's children have actually represented the country, uh, sons Chris and Tom, and I've actually seen them at the Grange, both play for Scotland cricket team, 
Um, well, his daughter Gemma had also played for Scotland netball team. And your other son, Jamie, as well, has also played professionally with Newcastle Falcons, if I'm right as well there, David, as well. Um, but there's another part to David. Um, and actually, having just spoken to a member of that team as well, there's the there's the the businessman, there's the the other side, the unassuming individual as well, who, if you forgive me, having just spoken to Tony, as in Tony Stanger from that side, said that I said, what what was what was David like as a captain? And he said, you just knew that you were always gonna, he was always gonna put his body in, on the line. And he said, having been captain by Finley David, different types, but the respect was just you know, amazing, you know, from the team. So that, that that's fantastic when you hear things like that as well. Um, in 2001, um, David joined the world of executive coaching, following a successful career with United, the Sillers and Diageo, um, and then founded his own co um, coaching practice, David Soul and Associates, in 2007. Um, David's also um, appeared massively in the media, and BBC uh, for BBC Scotland. I know you also write as well. I've read one of your books as well, Mark So, uh, just amazing read just to actually go back into that. But you've also as well held a number of non-exec positions as well. I know that that'll be the chair of the Board of Trustees Worldwide Cancer Research, we are there as well. And also your non-exec chair as well um, with AM Bid Services. The thing obviously now as well with David is that he is managing partner um, of school for CEOs, and I'm very interested to hear about that as well, David, um, since 2000. And I believe, if I'm right, um, your daughter, Gemma, also works with you, David, is that correct? Is she, is she part of the team? She is part of the team. She's our lead partner on uh, inclusive leadership. So, yeah, very important part of the team. So thanks for hearing all that, or yeah. indulging me to go through all that. Welcome, welcome uh, to this, David, here. Thank you. Before I go into, could you tell us a little about, before we go into your background and we go, go through your, your life, so to speak, in terms of how you, things have progressed, the School for CEOs, what is that about, David, if you don't mind? Sure. So um, one of my clients is, uh, when I was coaching, or when the one I was coaching, was John Mingus, uh, the aviation and distribution business. Um, well and we were chatting one day uh, over lunch after he left um, about the transition into the CEO role and how unprepared and underprepared he felt for that transition uh, and I'd done some coaching work for him um, and so we put our heads together and um, wondered whether we could create a business which helps prepare business leaders more effectively. And that is effectively what the School for CEOs do, does. We, we, we academic input at all. Um, we've got a very well thought through curriculum, um, which is delivered by practitioners. So we've got a faculty of over 100 of the UK's leading chief execs, chairs, non-exec directors, who come and tell their stories on our programs uh, and talk about what really happens rather than talking at it, talking about it from a, uh, an academic standpoint. And uh, yeah, I guess we, we were 10 years old at the badge to build the business out of it. So we now do other things like uh, inclusive leadership. Uh, we do executive assessment pro profiling, 
um, we do executive coaching, team development, facilitation, uh, some leadership masterclasses and so on. But it's principally all around developing uh, senior execs in organizations and supporting them to be more effective in their roles. And will you, it, will it be purely on the, I suppose, on the business front or will you indulge in, in areas like sport or is it purely on the more the kind of, the, I suppose, the, the, the commercial business side of things? Uh, did do some work with UK Sport and we had a number of chief execs of uh, sport governing bodies came on our programme and they absolutely loved it. And I mean, it's interesting because all of them said uh, that, you know, the challenges that they're facing, you know, relationships with their board, relationships with their other stakeholders, be they volunteers or participants, were absolutely consistent with the challenges that our business chief executives talked about. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, <clears throat> the vast majority of challenges come with leading those people, dealing with those people, managing those people, um, developing strategies to drive the organisation forward, which will be implemented by the or executed by those people. So uh, the vast majority of those, the issues that we tend to talk about tend to be people related issues. Sure. OK, fantastic. Um, I, uh, my best man, he played for air and he's in Penang at the moment. And I said, I'm, I'm going to be speaking to David. So I think he'd had a few actually. And he said, well, it doesn't get, well, not that he'd say that, but he said, it doesn't get much better than that. So he'll hopefully be listening to this later. But uh, if we take the, um, the sporting side, because obviously when you played, it was um, non-professional, you know, and, and what I'm interested about, because I've read the book and I've looked at it, it was a, you know, it was juggling life, wasn't it, for you, you know, when you look back on it there, but I suppose from a career perspective, because you were doing both, where did you start and what was your first, I suppose, big break into the commercial world, David? I was much more interested in, in, in playing rugby than having a career in my early 20s. And, you know, I chose my university based on the, the strength of their rugby fixture list. And, and, and so that's that's what took me down to the, the West Country. Um, and I then when I left university, I was looking to, to join a you know, first class club and was being courted by both Bristol and Bath. And, and at the time, Bath had a... Um, sort of philanthropist who would take and give them a, a role in their organization, a super chap called Ma Malcolm Pierce. And I'd done an agricultural degree. He had a, um, a dairy business. So I went and worked for him. Um, and that sort of set me up in, in the city of Bath, and which was just a fantastic experience, great sort of community uh, feel and sense of the club. And I was lucky enough to play at, for the club at, at, I suppose, the start of a very dominant period for the club. Yeah. We won the job, um, and then they went on in the, in the 90s to you know, really dominate English club rugby, win the European Cup. Uh, and so on. So, you know, very much a, a force to be reckoned with there. And that was, a, a, you know, an amazing grounding for me. And it was almost like doing my apprenticeship, I think, uh, in rugby, but having someone have a job, which I could, you know, got some, got some money for, which was help, really helpful. And it was only in my, towards my, I guess, late 20s, I was thinking, you know, and you probably come in the beginning of your career. And I, uh, rugby career, I mean, uh, and I thought I really need to sort of focus on 
uh, what I'm going to do professionally. And, and the opportunity came to join uh, United Distillers, which was the spirits company of Guinness, uh, as an assistant grain buyer. Um, and I applied for the job and I was lucky enough to, to get it. And that was it. And, and I had um, 10 or 11 really great years at United Distillers and Diageo. My career progressed and it, it sort of coincided to focus on my career and life after rugby rather than, um, as I do now, enabling rugby to provide me with a living. Um, so that was a big, you know, really big break for me. And you, you'd obviously, you're playing for a massive club, you've got this opportunity. At that stage, and I suppose from a rugby point of view, at an early age, you can be thrown in at the deep end and, and have to lead, I suppose, and captain, and you've obviously done that. But at that early stage, I suppose, through rugby or certainly from your business point of view, was there anyone you can still look back who was an, an, an early influence from a leadership point of view that you still can, or in touch with or you can relate to that, that stood out? Well, I think I think um, you know you, you you come across leaders in all walks of life, and and I always think leadership is very much like parenting. Um, you know, as a child, you you come through, you have your own parents' experience, you experience your friends and their parenting experience, and you know you, you see good and bad, and you think, oh, that's really good. That's well, I don't like that. Um, and as you grow and develop, so you start to develop a, a value set and a set of beliefs. <clears throat> and then finally, you, know, you, you find yourself with a little bundle of joy uh, as a child. And your parenting style evolves almost by osmosis, you, you know, whether you've been consciously or subconsciously taking in all these observations on you know, what works, what doesn't work for you. Your parents very rarely do you step back and, and reflect on it or go on a parenting course um, and, and I think leadership is very much the same way <clears throat> so you know you experience good leadership and bad leadership through your you know, formative years in school and perhaps university um, your first or second role in, and and some people really have a profound influence on you um, some people less so and people can have a profound influence whether it's good leadership or bad leadership mm. I would reflect on as being really outstanding leaders you know I think you know, from a rugby perspective Bill Cuthbertson uh, who played in the 84 Grand Slam side you know tremendous leader very sort of charismatic a real sort of leader from the heart um, Colin Deans my first captain in the Scotland side you know much more cerebral, much more thoughtful about his leadership, but still very passionate. And Finlay called a great friend of mine, you know, leader of the 89 Lions, you know, again, another really individual, um, you know, all brought different things. And, and I suppose, you know, when I, I was, you know, given, offered the privilege to lead Scotland, um, I wanted to do it in my way. And so it was a, almost... Um, taking some of these experiences, both from my world of work and also the world of sport, and trying to think about how did I want to to lead the side and set the standards and make the examples and you know, define culture and so on and so forth. And, and I suppose of these fantastic individuals you're talking about there, you know, it, you said that you'll have your own habits and the things will define. But I suppose um, 
what was it about them or what is it about, I suppose, what you've taken in terms of from a leadership point of view that works for you, David? Um, it's, you know, it's a really tough question to sort of identify, you know, two or three things that, that you know, define your, your leadership style or your leadership brand. I mean, I'm a great believer in... So, you know, being true to yourself, being true to your personality, I think is really important. And, you know, I'm quite a quietly spoken person. I'm not a sort of passionate, shouter, tub-thumping type person. So I think if I displayed that kind of leadership, uh, you know, for you know in an environment people be wondering you know what's you know what's he been drinking or what's he been smoking over the weekend you know so, and and yeah it undermines your integrity as a as a leader so so i'm a great believer in 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 your leadership and being true to yourself true to your values <clears throat> and you know i think i in the in the people that i talked about Ian McGeechan would be another person very sort of quiet quiet spoken very thoughtful um you know but but absolutely true to himself you know you wouldn't get McGeechan giving a Jim Telfer speech and yeah. you wouldn't necessarily get Jim Telfer giving a McGeechan speech and, and so that that sort of authenticity is really important and that and that for me uh, really I think the other thing is um humility uh, yeah. so it's a balance between um, showing humility and having the courage to demonstrate a degree of vulnerability um, and yet being confident and assured and, and getting that balance right is, is really important. So, you know, I, I place a lot on the, and, you know, the, the great line from Kipling's poem, if, you know, if, if you can walk with kings yet not lose, Use the company to interact with anyone in an organization uh, and have the humility um, uh, respect for the for the senior people but be able to talk to the people who have i don't know collecting trolleys in a supermarket car park oh, and, and treat those people exactly the same because at the end of the day we're, we're all human beings rather than human doings uh, and we need to be really conscious about you know treating people kindly with respect um and and so so that's a, that's a really important thing for me as well you think i mean obviously with what you do in the business world that you're in there um people sometimes are it happens through progression that they become a ceo because of where they've been in a business but some people are more comfortable with that than others in different styles but Again, it's a hard question, but do you think people are born to be leaders or is that a trained thing? You know, is it, is that, is that, do you think it's something that, let's just say, comes more naturally to others? You know, is, is it something they're born with? Well, I, I think we wouldn't have a business if, 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 if they were just born leaders. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, we, we believe that these sort of skills, these attributes can be learned. Um, and, you know, I, th I think what <clears throat> what you know, you will get certain people who are set apart because they have incredible charisma or incredible uh, you know, intellect and and drive. I could name a few CEOs who fall into that category, <clears throat> but equally, I think there are a number of people for whom 
you know, stepping into the CEO role can feel like quite a, a difficult and challenging progression, yeah. <clears throat> you know, and, and so, you know, a bit of support and guidance and direction for them is really, really important. You know, we, we did some research on imposter feeling and it's remarkable how many people suffer from you know, incredibly successful, you know, very well known, you know, at the top of their game in their organizations, but they still have this nagging doubt about, am I going to get found out? You know, am I going to make the right decision? Um, you know, are people going to, you know, think, think you're a fraud? And, and so, so the more you can help support them uh, uh, and be confident in their role, um, and yet show that a little bit of humility is, yeah. You know, I think it's really important. It, 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 it must be a very interesting role that you perform and you work with. I think a mutual friend and someone who I still keep in touch with, Steve Ingham, you know, through my background and my, he's the kind of born leader, as you know, Steve just gets up and that's him, you know. Yeah. But the nice thing about Steve having done stuff with him in the UK and internationally and been trips, you get to know the man, the man himself. You know, he's, he's quite... He's quite a tender soul, you know. He's a, he's a nice guy. He's, he's very thoughtful, you know. It's but he has to have that kind of facade, you know, you know, because of the, the nature of the industry and what he does. But you, you must see quite a bit of that as well. Then, as you know, um, what maybe is the veneer sometimes is slightly different behind, you know, when you're when, in the role that you perform, David. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's you know, Steve's a terrifically charismatic individual, and you know, great force of personality. And yeah. you know, he's he's you know, I'd say I'd liken him to a kind of Finley Calder type character. You know, he's a a real sort of guy that you would follow because you know you believe in what he says, and sure. uh, he has that energy and drive and enthusiasm and. And sort of, um, but not all leaders are the same, and and. Yeah. You know, I can think of another uh, CEO who, of a FTSE 100 company who's much more reserved, much more yeah. thoughtful, much more introverted, um, and has to work a lot harder, uh, you know, when he's uh, trying to inspire the organization and, and is on his, uh, on his two feet. Uh, so for some, it comes very naturally. And for some, it's, they have to be, I'd say, a little bit more thoughtful and, and work harder at it. And yeah, but that's not to say that there are any... No, absolutely. Absolutely. Any less. Would you say that you've trained yourself? Do you have habits? Is that something that you install? Do you, do you tend to people go back? Because there's that, you know, terrible expression was it resort to type and try and challenge yourself, you know, to not be, you know, and, and take a step back. Do you, do you think that helps in a leader leadership role? Yeah, I, th I think one of the things that I think is really important in, in leaders generally is is curiosity and and the growth mindset so that that finger to learn and you know not accept that you know you you know everything i think the day you know you you think you know everything is a day to give up and you know uh, forget about work altogether um and so having a relentless curiosity is is a quality which I think is really important and particularly for us you know we're a, a learning organization so you know I think it's really important for us to demonstrate that we're, we're taking a bit of our own medicine yeah. uh, you know every year some personal developments you know whether it's supervision or courses or whatever and 
encourage people to really follow their own interest. Uh So, you know, I've done things, I I went to an amazing place called Singularity University in Silicon Valley for a week to to understand what was happening from a technological perspective, because I'm I'm a bit of a dinosaur uh, and technophobe. Um, So to immerse yourself in Silicon Valley, where, you know, I think everybody's had at least three startups, some of which might have been that they're, you know, they're very happy to um, try and fail. Whereas I think, you know, the, the British psyche is, you know, if you've got to try, you, you've got to try and succeed. And, and if you try and fail, that really is a failure. And, and you know, so for, for me, that was a, a tremendous learning experience. I've done some uh, reverse mentoring with an amazing um, woman called Dion Johnson, who um, has a, a disability. She, She's Bristol, but her, her family is Jamaican. And, and I wanted to understand some of the challenges around race and ethnicity, particularly in the context of, uh, you know, what happened back in May, uh, almost 18 months ago with George Floyd. And, and, you know, Dion has been amazing in terms of really challenging some of my deeply held beliefs, which uh, were probably unconscious, but have been brought into my conscious mind in terms of, you know, how I approach race and ethnicity, inclusion and diversion, uh, inclusion and diversity. So, so I think it's really important to have that curiosity and to continually learn, uh, and to, but to follow your interest because you'll be inspired to learn about the things you're curious about. Yeah, you've kind of answered my next question. I, I was going to say, you know, in terms of, you know, training yourself for mental agility, you know, I suppose I'll ask the question, but are you an avid reader? Do you read business books as well? Do you get involved in that kind of side? Would you recommend any? I, I like, yeah, I, I love um, reading. Um, I, I tend to store up my reading for my holidays. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll take a novel or you know something rubbishy to read on the plane, but I'll also take something which is, uh, hopefully a little bit more thought-provoking and I'll learn from. So uh, I'm currently reading a, a you know, great book by Owen Eastwood, Belonging, uh, which is a you know, fantastic book, um, really interesting. He's worked with NATO, he's worked with, um, he's currently working with the English football team um, and you know he's a New Zealander and he's uh, comes as a Maori background as well. And so, you know, talking about that sense of belonging and he talks about the neuroscience that underpins some of the uh, responses that we might have to being part of a group. The impact of that is, and it's a, you know really interesting. Book. So I like to I like to read, but I say I tend to do it in 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 batches, and I'll binge read three or four books, and then I'll leave it for four or five months and binge read another three or four books. And I suppose we're we're all sick of it, but it's it's still here with COVID. I suppose it has. Shape or form changed your thoughts in terms of from a, a leader point of view, and you know what's happened over the past couple of years. How has that changed you? If it has, this one, yeah, from a leadership perspective, um, not only because of you know working in a hybrid environment, but you know, I think the, the touch points almost literally that leaders have with their organizations the people in their organizations have been taken away from them mm-hmm. uh, and that has 
you know, been really challenging for both the leaders and also their, their colleagues and organizations. And so hopefully we're, we're, we're nearing the end of it and we are getting more Uh, um, but I think I think the world that we will emerge into will be different to the world that we left, uh, and this sort of flexibility around working is going to be very very different, um, and that will require leaders to be a little bit more adaptable, a little bit more flexible in how they approach this. So I was talking to one person this morning about you know not wanting to mandate a, a return to the office, but really wanting people to come back to the office uh, and uh, for people to strike. Very good. Well, listen, we're, we're kind of nearing the end and I, I'd said that hopefully you'd indulge a little bit of rugby at the end, but <laughs> apart from that, how, how do you relax? I mean, as it's important for leaders to relax, they need to de-stress, chill out, whatever you want to do, they need downtime. What do you do, David, if you don't mind me asking, how do you kind of relax, I suppose, and from the the day-to-day -day grind, I suppose. Sure. Well, I, we we moved, we did a, a lockdown move of house. Uh, the, the country, um, so I I have a new set of hobbies which include things like beekeeping, uh, looking after chickens. Uh, we've got a, a a nice vegetable garden which we've been looking at got two dogs I'm training a dog so there's there's lots of things to keep me um entertained and, and involved so keep you know, keeping all that sort of stuff but I you know you, you reference the family I mean the things I really enjoy are <clears throat> you know um you know whether it's netball rugby cricket whatever um you know we're very close uh, in that and we you know when we can we will try and uh, support each other in sure. in That's whatever the, whatever's sure. going on so um yeah there's uh, i and i i love doing different things so you know, you know back to the point about learning you know we've my wife and i've done uh, beekeeping together um we've also done photography courses together so we're, we're very keen amateur photographers as well as that so a new set of hobbies to Take us into retirement. Very good, very good. One of the questions I tend to ask people, um, if you could go back in time, whatever, would would you change anything? Or, or I suppose, you know, leaving university, what advice would you give to a young David Soul, if any, you know, in terms of for his future path? Is there anything yeah. you would have changed or maybe have said to yourself? Um, I think the advice I'd Give you're passionate about, um, and and try not to have any self-limiting beliefs. There was one moment at, at Diageo where um, I really wish I'd asked a question um, that that you know, might have taken me in a slightly different direction in the organisation. Um, and you know, it's only now, having run the sort of programmes that we run, uh, and we encourage people to. Um, uh, you know, these come. I really wish I'd been on one of our programs because <laughs> I would have, I would have said, you know, could I move out of one one area of the business into another area? And, and the worst thing that they could have said to me would be would have been no. And you know that might have meant I'd I'd gone down the path that I'm on. 
<clears throat> but the best thing, I mean, they might have said yes, and that might have taken me on a, on a very different career path. Again, doing something that I was really <clears throat> passionate and enthusiastic about. <clears throat> so that, that would be my kind of one. Don't, don't fear asking the question, because as I say, the worst thing, you know, they're not going to fire you for asking a question yeah. like that. Absolutely. And are you seeing, I mean, in your world as well, you'd mentioned different types of personality. Do you think we were, I'm going back here, but do you think we're producing the leaders, David, that we used to back in, you know, do you, or what do you see, you know, in terms of um, the kind of strength and depth, I suppose, of leadership coming through? A huge amount of yeah, I think there's a huge amount of talent um, out there. Um, I, we know that the millennial generation, you know, is interested and, and focused on different things. So they're looking for purpose-led organizations who've got a clear sense of, um, you know, uh, corporate responsibility. So they want to you know, work in organizations which have focusing on the environment, sustainability, all these sorts of. I think the talent is there. I think the, um, the entrepreneurialism is, is there. Uh, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist anyway. Um, so Me I too. will always tend, tend, tend to look on the, on the upside of things. But I, th I think we've got lots of, you know, really talented young leaders coming through um, and, and lots of opportunities for them. Okay. Well, listen, I bet you're here enough here um, on a Friday afternoon here before, obviously, um, the big one. I don't. I, I mentioned to you. I know you're 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 doing your your writing for the game as well. But um, I can't not ask the question. And what 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 was interesting when I met Tony for the first time? It was my business partner, um, Ken Morris, introduced me, and we played a round of golf. And of course, I'm a huge fan, having played and all the rest of it. He said, you know, Tony, he's, he's more than just rugby, Derek. You know, it's not just the rugby that defines him. He's a business person and, you know, whatever. So I said, right, no problem, no problem, Kenny. So we teed off. So the next shot, I had to go up to him and says, tell me about that day then. Please tell me about that. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. But do you find that has been a good thing for you, David, in terms of, you know, because it is. I mean, I, I look back, I was 18 at the time. I had all the friends. It was unbelievable that day. And we still talk about it. Do you think that that has defined you? Or you found it a problem? Has it been a bonus? I mean, it's it was such an incredible feat, you know. <clears throat> Look, I, I definitely don't think it's been a disadvantage. Um, um, but I, I think I don't think it's an interesting issue and challenge, and particularly for you know, I, I never identified solely as a, as a rugby player, yeah. you know, I identified as a father, as a professional in, in distillers and, um, you know, as a rugby player as well, but it was, a, I had a multitude of different identities. Um, and, and, you know, as time has evolved, so the rugby playing identity has diminished and, and the businessman or uh, entrepreneur identity has increased. It'll never go away, and I'm, you know, really proud and of, you know, in my times playing for Scotland, and, and I absolutely loved them. You know, I, I wouldn't uh, change them for for anything. Um, but I think, you know, if that is your sole identity, pun the pun, um, it can be quite challenging, and I think that's one of the big 
issues for the professional yeah. player now is how do they make sure that they aren't defined as an Olympian or as a rugby player or as a Premier League footballer or whatever, because there's a lot to life beyond your... Sure. And, um, um, and, and it's a very sort of temporary existence. You'd mentioned a few Finlay called there. Do you still keep in touch with, you know, that team? I suppose the Airlines team, is that still something very special for you as well? Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I keep in touch with some more than others. Um, so Finlay's a very good friend. You know, we, we, uh, we have lunch pretty regularly. Um, and, you know, he's a, he's a very dear friend of mine. So um, keep in touch with the likes of Will Carling, who, who's probably much more of a friend now than he ever was when I was playing against him, which is slightly uh, interesting. I, I, you talked about Bathys and, you know, the old Harlequins and old Gusket. I love them as a centre partnership. I thought they were a class act. Mm. There's no question about that. Yeah. You know? uh, oh, but uh, you, you'd mentioned... Um, you know, people that help you along the way. Jim Calder, when I went into the executive world, he took time out, and I'll never forget that, to come and meet me, and I, and I picked his brain about, you know, everything, and he was great. And then, ironically, his son, uh, Duncan, was in New York at the time, and he actually come, I got my job through, Paige, and I know he's gone on to do that, but it's just these small touches that I think make such a difference, David, that people will give up time because I think they appreciate they've had it along the way as well. It's important, isn't it? Yeah, and I think you know, as a <clears throat> as, as a nation, we're not particularly good at asking for help. Yeah. You know, generally generally speaking, pretty most people are pretty happy to help out, uh, and they like being asked. They like to be appreciated. So, you know, you never know where the conversation is going to go. And um, I'm a great believer in networking. I you mentioned the autobiography, but I I co-authored a book on networking back in 2015 because I think it's such an important skill and attribute for <clears throat> senior leaders to, to master. Uh, and it's, it's all based on reciprocity. So, you know, the more you can give into your network, if you give into your network, you will ultimately benefit from it as well. So you, you, you mentioned Will Carlin there, and that's an interesting one. I've done my due diligence for a guy who was thrown in at such an early age, but, you know, he was, crumbling in the background wasn't it? I mean he really struggled with it you know and that as you said rugby definitely didn't define him there was more to it and you know it's, it's because the persona that we wanted to build up of him was so different wasn't it you know in terms yeah. of the and you'll know that clearly be, much better <clears throat> yeah 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 and, and I mean I say I know Will pretty well now and uh, you know I think some of the things you know like the, the the classic mr blobby uh, experience on noel's house party which you know is is often repeated um but you know i i, <clears throat> I think you know one of the things that, that he and i would both subscribe to is that you know leadership is a team sport and you know he went into a side with some you know incredibly strong-willed individuals like Brian Moore, Peter Winterbottom, yeah. Jerry Guskett, you know, these sorts of guys uh, uh, strong to be able to play with Finley and John Jeffrey and big Gavin Hastings and, you know, these sorts of guys. So, you know, when you have leaders with that sort of capability in, in a sporting team, you're always going to do okay. 
And, and I think the challenge is in business to recognize that, that you need to be comfortable hiring people who are probably better or smarter than you are. Because if you've got an exceptional team and you can create the environment for them to thrive, And, and um, what a team, I, I think I, I was listening to something you'd said, I think uh, on that day, the infamous walk, but I believe uh, Big Gav was wanting you to kind of walk out with claymores and kilts and throw them off at the set. I think uh, your choice was a much better one at the end of the day. It clearly worked as well. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things, I think if we'd lost, no one would ever be talking about it, but uh, <clears throat> it did sort of help <clears throat> galvanize the, the crowd and to and, and were uh, you part of that david i know the senior team got their heads together was that well, kind of a joint decision yeah I, I thought about it um but yeah it's back to that point being a good sort of collaborative consensual leader i thought i'd bounce the idea off everyone and uh um yeah the, the rest of the guys didn't know until literally a, a 30 seconds before we did it and just on that note, I mean, listen, I'm as big a supporter as, as all Scots are, obviously, and wishing the same well. But, you know, it's been a while, hasn't it, you know, since 1990. From a leadership point of view, in terms of, you know, you've you got to back your team, but, you know, we just don't seem to be able to get there. You know, we've seen that all the other Six Nations have had further Grand Slams and whatever. You know, what do you think might be missing, um, you know, David, at the moment? What, you, you talked about leaders. You had loads of leaders in your team, whatever. I, I sometimes look upon the team and see it a bit quiet and whatever, my personal point of view. But what, what, what do you think is, you know, maybe might be missing there at the moment? Here's, here's, here's for a win, obviously, tomorrow, but potentially. Yeah. Players are, you know, probably the, you know, the best group of players we've had for, almost a generation yeah um and you need you know key players in in throughout your team you know in in, in the past we might have had you know great individuals who've perhaps shone in a in a uh, what might be an ordinary uh, team or uh, so but i think i think you know that there's when you look at the scottish team at the moment there are no obvious areas that you would pinpoint as weak demonstrated by the number of guys who went on the Lions tour in the summer um, so I, th I think we've got some outstanding players I think for me it's about consistency and belief um, you know they have to believe that they can win um, and they have to be comfortable with the tag of favourites and, and they are favourites tomorrow so uh, you know, despite what Gregor and the others are, are saying uh, you know, they've got to go into that match believing that they are going to win without being arrogant. Um, the crowd at Murrayfield against an England side which has got a few injuries in it. Yeah. They should go out and put them, you know, put, this, put, this, put them to the sword. Yeah, and, and I think if they can do that, um, it sets up the rest of the season. So are you going for a win then? We, we can cut this out later if we lose. We can say something different. But would you, th you think a win? I am absolutely, uh, I'm not certain, but convinced uh, that they should win, yeah. Yes, sir. I think it'll be, uh, it's, a, it's going to be a long afternoon for a few in Edinburgh with the, the later kickoff, I can imagine as well. Um, I'm sure they'll uh, thoroughly enjoy themselves by the time kickoff yeah. arrives. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. 
And where do you? Where, I know. I know you'd said that you're um, you're obviously doing your 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 article piece here. You're writing later, so will you be watching it with the family? Do you watch it on your own, David? How you, how will you take the game on? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll watch on the telly um, yeah. with with my wife, if I expect, um, and sort of take a few notes and have the laptop on my knee. I've got quite a tight copy deadline. Um, yeah. Only want it in the first edition for, for a big match. So that, that has to be in at seven o'clock, which at a 4.45, it's a little bit tight, but should be okay. Fantastic. Well, listen, this has been an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much, as I said, kicking this off, um, indulging me. And I'm, I know that uh, the audience will be absolutely thoroughly entertained listening to this, David. So I'm so pleased you've done this. And I know that Ken and I are going to catch you for a bit of lunch and we can have an answer at that. But listen, an absolute gentleman. Thank you so much for doing this. I wish you well. And here's to hopefully a win tomorrow. And uh, thank you again. It's been my pleasure, Derek. Look, I look forward to meeting in person. Yeah, absolutely.